Well, good evening, church. It's Christmas, so I know you all have way more energy than that. Good evening. See, this is why I love hymns. I think they're beautiful, but like the full drum set is really what gets people lively and ready for Christmas, I think. Well, it is an honor and privilege to greet you on this very special evening, the night we remember the birth of our Savior, Jesus. I recognize that some of you call the table your home church, but a lot of you are visitors, and if you are visiting, welcome. We're so glad that you've chosen to spend Christmas Eve with us. I hope for both visitors and folks that call the table home that tonight is refreshing for you, it is relaxing, and you leave this space feeling more joy and peace than perhaps you may have walked in with tonight, and especially as we all get ready to step into a new season together. So I've been on leadership at the Table Church for quite some time, and I've been on the pastoral team for a couple of years, but this is the first time that I get to deliver the Christmas message. And I find this to be a little bit ironic because my first experience public speaking ever was in the fourth grade nativity play. And I was playing the role of Elizabeth, which if you're familiar with the story, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And she gives birth to John the Baptist, who when John the Baptist and Jesus are older, John would go and prepare the way as Jesus began his ministry on earth. And I really prepared for my line and I was coached to say it with a ton of enthusiasm. And so at what I thought was the right time, I ran onto the stage and I said, Mary, Mary, I'm about to have a baby. And I was so proud of myself. And then I looked over and Mrs. Schmidt was like waving and telling me to get off the stage. And I realized that I came on three minutes too early. And so I go off the stage. And then three minutes later, I walked back up there. <laughs> and I said, Mary, Mary, I'm about to have a baby. Much less enthusiasm. It's safe to say that tonight is going to go 10 times better than that. I'm glad that I can really redeem my moment of the nativity story. And I'm really excited to share what God has put on my heart tonight. Well, I have read the Christmas story and studied it many times as I was preparing for today. I realized just how short and condensed the nativity story really is. 39 verses less than 200 words. It's only covered in the Gospels of Mark and John. It's completely ignored. Um, or I'm sorry, it's only covered in Matthew and Luke, and it's completely ignored in the Gospels of Mark and John, even though somehow they wrote a combined 711 verses about Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. And so from our worldly perspective, and I think throughout the rest of the year, sometimes we discount the importance of this story especially when so much more is written about Jesus' life, his ministry, the time when he was walking among us and teaching us and redeeming us and loving the most unexpected of people. Disconnected from the historical context and viewed through our worldly lens, the birth story, it can seem like a fairy tale sometimes. A virgin birth, angels everywhere, not to mention the supposed king who has come to fight all evil and redeem all of creation is a helpless infant born most likely not in a barn as we have come to know but born in a cold and damp cave who spends his first night in a feeding trough. See the nativity story on its own it's just that 39 verses 200 words one that many of you have heard before 
on its own, but divorced from the authorship, the historical events of the day, Jesus' genealogy, all that came before it and after it on its own, there's nothing in there that's radically life-changing. We are supposed to see God and understand the repercussions of this event when a baby who was fully human and fully God came to earth, but from a worldly lens, it doesn't make sense. And so tonight, I'm not going to ask you to imagine supernatural events through your own lens and understanding of the world that you interact with today, but we're going to view the Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, someone who was fully human and I think can shed even more light on the beauty of this story and the hope that it offers us today. So before we do that, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together in this space. We thank you for the beautiful worship, everyone that served to make this space possible tonight. And we praise you for what you're going to do. We thank you for the reminder that we celebrate this evening, the story of Jesus' birth. And I pray, Lord, that right now you would speak just new truth through it and that our eyes and our hearts would be open to what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. So this evening, we are going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke. There are four Gospels in the modern-day New Testament that chronicle the life of Jesus and his ministry on earth, and two of them, as I mentioned, they share his birth story. Before we dive into Scripture, it's important for you to know a little bit about Luke. Luke, before he was a follower of Jesus, he was actually a medical doctor. He was a physician. He viewed the world through a scientific lens. He also was intentional about documenting both the political and historical markers of the day, which is helpful because it adds further context for us as we dive into scripture today. So with that in mind, if you have your smartphones or maybe some of you carry around a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke verse one through, or chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. I'm going to read it for you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. We learn quite a bit about Mary in these opening verses. We learn that she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And the word here for pledged, more accurately, it's translated as betrothed, which at the time meant that there was already a contractual agreement, most likely, between Joseph and Mary's father. 
It is essentially the equivalent in legal status to what a wedding ceremony uh, would provide, but they had not yet had marital relations and they were not yet married in the eyes of God. Along these same lines, as was traditional for this historical period, Mary is a virgin, which means there is no medical reasoning for what the angel is telling her to be true. And yet Luke, our physician, he decides to capture it in scripture. Mary having a baby would have been just as difficult for Luke to believe as it is for us to believe today. But Gabriel states that the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, and this is because the Savior of the world couldn't be born from Adam. The Savior of the world could not be born from human sin, but rather had to be born of God if he was going to save all of creation from their sin. We also learn that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, is a descendant from King David, who in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar, was a shepherd turned servant of God who became king and established Jerusalem as God's holy city. See, the Jewish people, they knew that they were waiting for a Messiah to appear because the Savior of the world had been promised to them so many years ago. But more importantly, they knew that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David and a descendant of Abraham. And looking at scripture, Mary knew this was coming. She likely knew that her soon-to-be husband was also a descendant of David. She doesn't question the Messiah's genealogy at all, what the prophets spoke of so many years ago. That makes sense to her. She questions the science of it all. Most importantly, we learn that Mary was young and poor and a woman. There is nothing about Mary's status that religious leaders of the day would have believed God would choose to use to advance his kingdom on earth. And yet, this passage tells us that Mary was highly favored by God. Finally, we learn that the son Mary is to give birth to would be named Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves just as Joshua in the Old Testament would lead Israel into the promised land, a piece of Jewish history that I'm sure Mary knew very well, Jesus would lead his people into eternal life. And he would save God's people and reign forever. If there's anything we can learn from Mary's story, it's that when we say yes to God, the miraculous can occur. Mary did not ask for this. Scripture tells us that she was highly favored by God. She likely did her best to study Scripture, to follow Jewish law, and obey God's word. But this, this was unexpected. It was not part of her plan. She was engaged to be married. She was young, inexperienced, and her gender made her a lower-class individual in that society. And yet, God didn't care what the world thought of her. She was favored. And I think so often... We believe that our experiences or our abilities or our education are what qualify us for the plan that God might have or for the purpose that we are supposed to step into in the world, but it's simply not true. And Mary is exhibit A of that. What qualifies us to be used by God, we see in Mary, it's a willing spirit and a trust in something so much bigger than ourselves. A trust in God's plan over our plan, even if it is a bit unconventional. But Mary, she chose to say yes to God, and she chose to say yes to the unconventional. Gabriel would deliver news 
that would alter her life forever. But when Gabriel visits, Mary is not yet pregnant. Scripture is clear about that. When Mary asks how this is going to happen, Gabriel says, you will conceive. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. He's speaking of events of the future. And she could have said no, but she didn't. This ask that God was making of her, it would not just alter her life, but it would alter the future of eternity. Mary, the mother of the Messiah, she would go through so much to do this too. She would experience physical pain during the childbirth. She would be ridiculed by her peers for her pregnancy that is out of wedlock. She was at risk of being disowned by her family, possibly even stoned to death if they didn't believe her story. And her fiancé, as we read earlier, would nearly leave her until God sends an angel to clue him in on what was going on. Mary knew what was at risk, and yet she said yes to God. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary said, may your word to me be fulfilled. Mary said yes to God, just like her son would say yes in a way that would ultimately lead him to a sacrificial death. It would lead him to redeeming all of creation and giving his life for our sins so that we could live in eternity with him. See, Jesus was born into obedience. He was born into obedience. And in today's world, I think we kind of hate that word, obedience. But for Mary, obedience came down to believing that what God had in store for her it was more than she could see and more than she could understand. Being obedient, it wasn't a burden. She trusted God and knew that it was going to be a gift. And not just a gift to her, a gift to people she would never meet during her time on this world. And it would alter the lives of so many people. So often with faith, we think that we have to have it all figured out before we say yes to God. We think, well, if I have some questions about church or some doubts about the Bible or I, I don't understand what scripture is telling me, that means that I can't follow Jesus just yet. If I have questions about how my life will unfold, how God's plan will unfold in the future, or if I'm uncomfortable with the unknowns, then we think I shouldn't say yes to God's plan just now. But if there's anything that the nativity story teaches us is that the human mind cannot understand the ways of God, and we are not expected to. Luke was a doctor. He knew how babies were made, and yet he chronicles this experience and the power of what can come when we believe God's truth and give ourselves over to the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You see, Mary, she held up the events of her life, not against the world that she knew, but against the God that she knew. She held them up to the truth of God. She had faith that not only her life would be altered from this, but this was about something so much more than her, and it was going to be for the sake of the whole world. Mary not only said yes to the unconventional ways of God, but she also said yes to God's timing, which we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. From a worldly perspective, Jesus' birth happened at the worst possible time. And if Mary had it her way, I think it's safe to assume that she wouldn't have chose to travel 90 miles, most likely on a donkey, while being nine months pregnant. Jesus probably would have been born in Nazareth at her home, maybe with her mom or other matriarchs of the family, certainly with proper supplies. If she had it her way, she would have maybe been married or older, more ready to raise a child. But verse 6 says, the time came. God's time came. And see, Jesus, he couldn't have been born in Nazareth. He had to be born in Bethlehem, the town of his ancestor David, because everyone knew that's where the Messiah was going to be born and where the prophets spoke of it 700 years earlier. That's where the people were waiting to hear that God's king had come. And he couldn't be born later when Mary was older or more experienced. He had to be born then when Palestine was under Roman rule. See, at this exact same time, Caesar Augustus, he had come to be known as an earthly god. And the Romans were calling him Lord. Little did they know that this so-called god would stand in such stark contrast to the tiny baby who was the true king. A tiny baby who was so much more powerful than this worldly king. The tiny baby who was God made flesh. And Jesus couldn't be born in Mary's home because he had to be birthed in this cave among livestock, just barely shielded from the elements in a place that was likely dark and damp. But it didn't matter because Jesus would be the light of the world called to illuminate even the darkest of nights or the coldest of seasons. And his first visitors, they wouldn't be kings or rulers. They wouldn't be loved ones of Mary and Joseph's family. Instead, they would be the lowest of the low in society. They would be the shepherds known for being dirty and uneducated and thieves despised for their place in society. And there would be no guest room available for the savior of the world because so many people were coming to that town to take part in the census And this would foreshadow how the world would reject him and persecute him, the one who came to save us. See, God's timing was better than Mary could possibly imagine, but it all started with her saying yes. And for us, often, this is where we struggle. We ask God to work in our lives, to answer our prayers, to fulfill our greatest desires, to meet our needs, to help us get that job, to provide for us, to heal a broken relationship, to bring that special person into our life, but we don't want to say yes to God's timing. We want things done our way, assuming we know what's best for ourselves and also for the people around us. 
instead of choosing to humble ourselves to God's timing and to God's truth. See, God's timing, it's, it's so beautiful. Since the prophecy of the Messiah who would come to save God's people, the Jewish people had been waiting 700 years for a king and a ruler. Someone of might and power who could defend them against the oppression of this world, who would battle all evil that we were facing. But instead, God chose to send a baby who would grow up among us and walk among the very people that he would one day redeem. He wouldn't just fight for them, but he would truly know them. He would truly know you. He sent Jesus who would experience every single human emotion that we do today and every pain that this world has to offer. He sent us someone who even in this season of joy and gladness can feel and understand the very hurts and struggles that some of you might be walking through right now. He sent us light for dark places and hope when we feel so lost. But Mary didn't just say yes to the unconventional, and she didn't just say yes to God's timing. She also said yes to God's love being revealed. And again, this is a piece of God's story that we can't define or fully comprehend through human understanding. Often we try to. We use definitions of love that we're familiar with, that we have seen or experienced in this world. But God's love is without limits. It is greater than you might have for a child or a spouse or a sibling or a partner, a best friend, your dog. It's even greater than the love for your dog. And it's pure and it's perfect. And God's love, it isn't self-seeking. It isn't prideful. It isn't used as a bargaining chip. It isn't something you have to work for or fight to earn. It isn't something you have to worry about losing or scaring away. It isn't something that fears your failure. It isn't something that you have to protect or chase after. There is nothing that you can do to make it greater or deeper. Nothing. God's love is never-ending and all-consuming. It is sacrificial, and it protects. It guides. It never leaves you. It is all-knowing and still doesn't want to leave your side even when you are walking through the darkest of seasons. It forgives. It is constant, and it is forever. It is before you, and it is behind you, and it is Emmanuel, God with us, and God with each of you. And it is waiting for you to say yes, just like Mary did. See, it was through Mary's yes that God's ultimate love was revealed in this world. And so on this Christmas Eve, we remember when God's ultimate love was birthed into creation. And no matter what season each of you are walking through or what this year has, been in, has had in store for you or what might be on the horizon for you, I encourage you in more ways than one to say yes to God. Figure out what that yes is. Say yes to the unconventional ways he might be choosing to move in your life. Say yes to God's timing, even if it seems so strange, having the faith that it is much better than your own timing and your own schedule. And say yes to God's love, knowing that perfect baby who was born some 2,000 years ago 
is the God of love who would do anything, even sacrifice himself, to walk with you through this life and be with you long into eternity. Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray for the folks in this space who are discerning what their yes is. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into their hearts, that you would guide them, that you would comfort them, that you would let them know tangibly that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. That you have been there through the darkest of seasons and you will be there in the brightest of futures. Lord, I pray that we would learn to say yes to the unconventional, that we would learn to say yes to your timing, and that ultimately we would learn to say yes to the love that you offer us each and every morning. And I pray that this love would guide us. In your name we pray. Amen.